Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. Welcome back to the Unbelievable Podcast. I am BJ Rodell, back here with my guy, Drew Mahold. And today, well, as I said last week, we I promised that we'd be talking about the NFL Combine and the results and how that impacts the Vikings. So we'll start off the show um, going through some interesting stuff from the Combine. I know that Drew wants to talk about the very fast offensive linemen, so we'll spend, uh, <laughs> we'll spend some time doing that. Uh, the main, the kind of the meat of the episode here today, though, is I wanted to do Anthony Harris Appreciation Day. Um, from the looks of things, it's becoming more and more evident, I suppose, that the Vikings may be without Anthony Harris uh, moving forward for a variety of different reasons, of which we will t- take a look into. Uh, but I also want to talk about what he means to this defense and why it's important to bring him back. And ultimately, the both of us will make a decision on whether or not we would find room in the salary cap for Anthony Harris. So that's uh, that's the B for the episode here. Um, we'll also have a little bit more social media fun. Trey Wayne's put up an Instagram Instagram post that uh, got some traction. So we'll talk a little bit about that, and we'll finish up here with the Diggs tweet translator. I've got three of them on here that Drew and I will try to uh, break down for you guys, and uh, that will wrap up today's show. So that's the game plan. Uh, let's hop right into it here and start with uh, the NFL Combine. So. Uh, for those of you who did not watch uh, this past week, um, you're not alone. I did not watch. The <laughs> N- I was not watching the NFL Combine live for the most part. I did catch uh, the offensive line section and the defensive back section uh, because that applies the most to the Vikings. And I imagine that a lot of our discussion today will focus on those two areas. But uh, – we talked a little bit about this in, in kind of a mocking fashion last week when we were talking about hand sizes. And I want to make this point here now before we go any deeper. The combine is important and the tests that they do um, are in many ways a reflection of what the player can do athletically speaking, how they might fit into your scheme based off of, you know, their burst or um, how they cut or, you know, how they run fast in a straight line. But a lot of this stuff is not all that important. And there's some Mm -hmm. people who swear by it, and I mean no disrespect to those people who look at this stuff and, you know, literally they find a Three Sigma athlete and they're like, okay, that's the most athletic guy I've ever seen. We need to find a way for him to be on the NFL field. Ultimately, athleticism is super important. There's a baseline for it, no doubt. But a lot of this stuff is – it's not – 
it's not it doesn't define a player. There are a it's, lot of it's not really half of it. I mean, no, I'm I'm this is speaking as somebody who did not play competitive football ever, uh, but you know, getting yourself on the field with a, with ten other teammates, eleven guys on the opposing side of the field, knowing your assignment, knowing what you're supposed to do, uh, is much more important than the actual athleticism that you possess. But um, for this in particular, I just thought it was hilarious how offensive linemen are now like faster than everybody else. Like, I mean, Tristan Wirfs was the big name from Iowa. For sure. Ran like a 4'8". He's 320 pounds, 6'5". And I think he did really well on the broad jump too. Set like an, a record, just something like dumb. Like, and the, the part, I mean, for me, I don't know how much that will help him on the football field. Like, how right. how often is an offensive lineman running forty yards in a straight line downfield? That's a super fair question. That's a very so fair I, question. That's the thing. Like like he's going to get a lot of attention, and I don't know if his draft stock is going to rise a ton from that. But it will. It's going like, to. It is going like, to because of that's that. That's the thing. Like I don't know. Maybe that reflects, you know, in some like if you're in a zone scheme, you have to, you know, it's not like you know a power scheme. The guys in front of you, in the most part, um, and your offensive line, you don't have to run move terribly far whereas his own scheme maybe it's different i don't it, it the, some things that it pertains uh to some schemes some teams more than others i don't know but the funniest part about i like that we're breaking right into tristan Wirfs here because that was an like you can't like okay so separate from football you can't take anything away from this athlete right like this is just an incredible incredible athlete given his size mm-hmm. now football wise the 40 yard dash let's talk about that first okay uh, Drew mentioned it. It was a 4.85. That's what Tristan Wirfs from Iowa University ran at the NFL Combine. Now, there are maybe one or two scenarios in which an offensive lineman runs 40 yards downfield in a straight line. Maybe. The, world, the only one I can think of is like a screenplay. There's a screenplay, or there's a play where the offense or the the running back finds a hole and breaks into the open field and basically has one or two men but at that beat. point most linemen are way behind the play anyway right so that's and my point the being are, the other scenario is like a fake punt or like not a fake a fake where the quarterback punts it that's the last thing i can think of right now but my point being here is that can be a difference maker for him specifically because he can do he does appear to be very very capable of moving downfield quickly yeah. now at the same time i want to point this out and I think a lot of, for what it's worth, I think you've probably heard this this before already, but half the time, offensive linemen can't go more than five yards downfield. Just by the way, just throwing that out there. So for those of you out more there... More than half the time. More than half the time because it's a passing league now. So just to keep that in mind, okay? So when you look at the 40-yard dash for offensive linemen, don't read too much into it, but it's outstanding what Tristan Wurst was able to do. He solidified himself as a top 10 athlete in this class, um, a guy that's you know can be a game-changing offensive lineman for a very special organization. The so, other guy is Mickey Beck, the, the Louisville guy, Mickey Benton. Becton. Becton, that's the monster dude from Louisville, right, that ran a ran 5-1. 5-1, and he's like 360 pounds or something. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Just, I mean, that's fast. That's really fast. That's a lot of humanity moving quickly. <laughs> it, it's it's funny because, like, when we as non-professional athletes, and in my case, non-collegiate athletes, I guess you qualify as a collegiate athlete. Technically, you played, technically. You played a year of golf, right? Okay, so for myself as a non-collegiate athlete, like, you look at these numbers and you think to yourself, oh, fourth, they only ran 4-8? <laughs> <laughs> that's hilarious. Like that's slow. It's like, dude, I would love to see what I would run in the forty. It would be, it would be not good. 
and I would I imagine that most of you guys listening to this too, you know, when you see Rich Eisen run the forty, and it's like it it looks like a laughable figure next to these supreme athletes. It's like, dude, I bet you Rich Eisen's faster than most of us. <laughs> Probably. It's not. Probably it's not is. easy to run this forty. That forty yard dash is not easy, especially because like the form that you use. Like no one really thinks about this, but the form like like it really impacts how quickly you can get down the field in forty seconds. Like it, they practice yeah. literally. Like if you talk to a guy and ask him, like how long, how long did you practice to run this forty yard dash? They probably spent hours and hours just getting their feet right, getting their hands right, so that when the gun sounds, they're off the line in, the, in, in an instant. And you see guys that trip a little bit too, and it's not a true reflection of their speed. So, yeah, I mean, it's outstanding that these offensive linemen were very, very fast. I mean, I'm looking at this list here. There are three guys that were under five zero for a forty yard dash time. Now, does that matter? Probably not, but uh, it's very cool. I will say as a personal story, when I was in high school and I was playing football with Chantrell Henderson, who uh, most recently tried out for Baltimore and isn't on a team as far as I'm concerned right now, he was the, <laughs> he was the fastest player on our football team. He's six foot eight, 320-pound offensive lineman when he was a senior <laughs> in high school, and he was the fastest player on our football team, with the exception of two wide receivers. He was faster than our running back. He was faster than our quarterback. It was outstanding. Like these people do exist. It's just like when you see them, it's like it's it's absolutely nuts because you look at them and you're like, "There's no way that guy's faster than me." And then he just blows by you, and you're like, "Okay." Well, plus you're comparing these guys to uh, essentially world class athletes that are oh, at yeah. combine, like at cornerback. They are world class athletes. Receiver, and that's the comparison tool. Whereas if you were to put these guys up against me or somebody like <laughs> all of a sudden these guys are really really fast and it's easier to see it but at, at linemen i mean really for any position i mean straight line speed matters more on like kickoffs and punts than anything else oh, for sure. so that's more of a special teams trait at least when i look at it like every other position you're you're you know, maybe receiver i guess in corner if you're trying to if there's a guy that's going to be just a strict burner down the field but um it's Straight line speed at a 40-yard dash doesn't tell a whole lot uh, unless, you know, maybe you're the Oakland Raiders and you're just trying to find the fastest guy in the draft and draft him. But um, I, it's just fun <laughs> to see the discussion and the, the uh, you know, how much the draft stock moves based on this stuff that, to me, I, I think is a very small part of the draft process. To, to me, the combine is more reinforcing your take, right? Like, you already have a perception of the athlete. You expect a certain level of athleticism from that player. And then to see that, you know, be translated into numbers. uh, And you can objectively evaluate that way as opposed to, you know, the subjective evaluation of looking at film. That's all that the combine really does. It reinforces your narrative for the most part. Or there are some people who will literally allow it to kill their narrative, which is always interesting. I mean, I remember when I was more into doing draft research and stuff, for example, do you remember when Kentrell Brothers did his mm-hmm. combine and his numbers were disgusting, but his film at Mizzou was just absolutely outstanding? Uh, I mean, a lot of people allowed his combine performance to, to quite literally kill their on-field evaluation. Now, this is a guy that's still in the NFL. Most guys can't say that after four years, you know? I mean, I understand that you know he hasn't really developed into the player – that I think some of us may have hoped in terms of being, you know, given the hole that the Vikings had at the middle linebacker spot before Eric Kendricks basically transitioned into being that guy full-time. But 
it, it's still like it's it's important, but it's also not important. And I know that that doesn't make any sense, but I think you probably understand what I'm saying in the sense that like some of these numbers are like it's cool. Like you need to hit a certain number. Like if you have an offensive tackle that's only doing 12, 12 bench press reps of two twenty five, that's probably a problem. If you've got you know Henry Ruggs, if he had put up eight bench press reps, I probably wouldn't have thought much of it. I, mm-hmm. I definitely would say, hey, probably get stronger so you can get off of pat- press coverage. Like, that's something you should do once you get to the NFL. But that's not, like, his style, you know? Like, that's not, like, that's not what makes him a game-breaking performer. It's his speed. It's his agility. It's his quickness. It's his lateral movement. It's his ability to contort his body in ridiculous ways. It's not the fact that his, you know, that he's shaped like, you know, a table. Like, that's not, <laughs> that's not what Henry Ruggs is. That's not what makes him win. But when you look at some of these numbers now, for offensive linemen specifically since we're already on that topic. Some of these guys, okay, I'm going to butcher this name here, but Natani Moody from Fresno State, 44 reps of 225. Okay, that stands out. And that's a difference maker, especially if you think about a guy in run blocking specifically. As a mauler, a guy that can quite literally move 225, like that means that he's got stamina. That means that he's broad. He's probably got broad shoulders, and he's got you know just he's just built. He's built like a meat tank. Like that reflects well on mm-hmm. a, a guard or a tackle. It doesn't necessarily matter as much for other positions, but when you can do forty four, like that tells me a lot about the player's build and his kind of ability to compete for four quarters heading into the NFL. Yeah, and then I think the one that um, this is kind of switching to another position, but the one that a lot of Minnesota fans can, you know. I'm sure took notice of uh, was Antoine Winfield Jr. Yeah, I think he sure. ran four four six or four four eight. I think it's four four six, something like that. Um, which is you know, and, and at safety, it depends on the like if you're a box or uh, free safety. I mean, a free safety if that's ranging the field, you probably want some speed there, right? Mm-hmm. You want to cover as much ground as possible. That's how Earl Thomas Spence was successful. Um, and I think people were surprised. I was surprised to see Winfield that you know that with a number like that and. That seems more relevant to me than, you know, an offensive lineman running four eight five because I feel like in you know a free sure. safety ranging the field. Now I think Winfield can play both free and box, but if I remember correctly at Minnesota he was doing a lot of free safety work, so got to cover wide range of the field. And I feel like that speed is going to uh, maybe raise some eyebrows for uh, NFL, uh, you know, executives say, oh, this guy has that range, has that. I don't want to say Earl Thomas the same sentence yet, but that's the type of player he could turn out to be. Right. So he's, but, but what's important about that, though, especially with Winfield, is that his instincts at Minnesota were basically what made him the player he is, right? We can fairly, yeah. that's pretty, we can be pretty confident in stating that, that he was more of, I mean, what was he, a three star recruit coming out of college, coming into college? Like he wasn't brought into, he wasn't brought to Minnesota, I mean, Minnesota doesn't exactly get to pick who they want, but you understand what I'm saying. He wasn't brought into Minnesota because of his athleticism. He was brought into it because of he's a football player. I mean, I think he was measured at 5'9", which is severely undersized, especially if you're going to play in the box. That'd be that's a dangerous place to be if you're a safety that's undersized. Now, if you're playing the field, it's a little bit different, and that makeup speed can be a huge differentiator when you combine the fact that he also has outstanding instincts as well. So when you look at his height next to his other – evaluation scores I suppose it, it it does end up sort of making a difference because you see his height and you're like oh that's a problem that just immediately you're going to see that and you're like that's a problem 
He's he's immediately going to start getting pulled as, you know, a slot corner. Think about, like, Captain Munnerlyn, for example. That's how tall Captain Munnerlyn is. Like, Anton Winfield Jr. is small. And Antoine Winfield wasn't tall either. I mean, he was able to, you know, tackle successfully and be, yeah. you know, one of, be one of the best corners to ever play in Minnesota. So, you know, you take what you will from it. But when you look at that size, I think it is important to have other factors working for you, especially for a guy like Winfield yeah. who wins with things other than his athleticism and size. Right. I mean, that's, that's the bottom line is, like, that's the entire thing we're preaching right now is the combine numbers are great and they do matter in certain scenarios, like depending on the position, depending on where, you know, what team you're going to. But it, it takes a lot more than a, a flashy combine performance to succeed in the NFL. So um, I don't know if there's any other ones that you – wanted to look at any other positions um but, i just wanted to I mean, talk i just wanted in, to look in large at... part and mostly i'm just going to be like yeah that, you know that could work you know that that could that might raise an eyebrow that might uh carry over to the league sure you know and, and most of the time uh these things are not gonna you know make me jump out of my seat i guess right and i i certainly agree with you um before we jump into anthony harris here i just want to talk a little bit about uh how this works for the Vikings specifically, since this is, excuse me, this is a Vikings show and uh, you guys are listening to this podcast because you want information on the Vikings. So let's talk a little bit about these offensive linemen here. I'm going to use Dane Brugler's top 50 list for offensive linemen. uh, And I'm just going to kind of work my way down here of guys that might be in the Vikings range, guys that might be on their radar and players that you could be thinking at, at number 25 overall. So the first three on this list here are Jedrick Willis Jr. from Alabama, Andrew Thomas from Georgia, Tristan Wirfs from Iowa. I think it's fair to say that Wirfs probably up his stock a little bit. The other two are solidifying themselves as potential top ten picks. That's probably not in the Vikings range. I think we can, you know, for those of you who have dreams of landing Tristan Wirfs, I mean, it, it sounds perfect. An Iowa kid coming to Minnesota. Mm-hmm. I just don't. I don't foresee that happening. It's not. It just really doesn't seem possible in my mind. So you got to start thinking you know, a little bit more realistically. And that brings you to Becton, who we already talked about here. Um, he's currently ranked as the number 16 overall player in, on Brugler's list. Um, I believe that his he, his kind of draft range relative to, you know, the professional analysts out there, it varies quite a bit. Uh, but that's what Brugler has to think about him. And then you can look at Josh Jones from Houston as well, Isaiah Wilson from Georgia, and then Austin Jackson from USC, and then uh, Tyler... I can't remember how we pronounce that name. The Wisconsin guy, Tyler Biades, Biades. <laughs> Those are the guys that are kind of in the Vikings range within that first and second round area. Is there anyone there that stands out to you, or are you fa- are you falling in love with the idea of drafting a six foot seven, very athletic, three hundred sixty four pound offensive tackle to put opposite Brian O'Neill? Because I like uh, that idea. Well, I do like that idea quite a bit, uh, and you know, I I feel like I'm more. Uh, spoken in a negative way then i maybe should be on reef just because i mean he is a an average to above average left tackle and it's just that those guys kind of get exposed against great competition a lot but you know most of the time they are rock solid and don't they're not a problem but uh yeah i mean i I really don't see the vikings now this could be this could be wrong who knows but i don't see the vikings going after offensive linemen round one i think they're gonna knowing Mike Zimmer, knowing Rick Spielman, I think cornerback is going to be cornerback or safety, depending on if Anthony Harris is gone, which we'll get to in a second. Uh, that's going to be the first round choice. So I'm looking at second round here. 
Um, potentially, maybe they trade up for someone like um, Austin Jackson. Uh, maybe they go after uh, Bia Bidash. I don't know how we're going to say that name. we got to figure that out because <laughs> we're going to keep talking about him on the show. But the, the Wisconsin guy I know you like a lot. So. It's, it's pronounced – I'm reading the profile right now. It's pronounced Bia-dish. Bia-dish. Okay. Boom. <laughs> Bia-dish. So, yes. yeah, I, I just don't think – I think – I really think the Vikings are going to go defensive back at the first pick. And then from there, that's when offensive lineman probably becomes a priority. Um, you know, for it seems like it's a priority all the time, but I think the Vikings, that defensive back, that cornerback especially, was really, really uh, vulnerable in 2019, and that needs to be fixed. And the way this draft board kind of falls, it seems to make sense to be looking skill player at 25, and then, what would it be, 57? Look at, uh, you're looking at an offensive lineman at that point. Um uh, there yeah, are, well, let's keep in mind that the Vikings probably won't be drafting. That's the, a that's a really at good those point. spots at yeah. those spots. So, who knows what they they make so many trades in the draft every year that it's you can't really predict. That's a that's a very fair point. So let's focus. Let's shift our attention here and shift our focus to the defensive backs here, because so this is an interesting defensive back class. Um, for those of you who have been following my content for some time now, you're aware that I'm a big fan of cornerbacks and I'm a big fan of cornerbacks with personality I'm I I, I, I love that <laughs> I love that Mike Zimmer drafts a cornerback in the first or second round every year I am fully behind that because I think that you can never have too many corners and last year was a true test of that because I think you know last year we all thought that we had too many cornerbacks in Minnesota and that certainly proved to not be the case and now we're thinking cornerback in the first round so Let's talk about some of these guys here that might be legitimate candidates for the Vikings at that 25 pick, and then we'll talk a little bit about their combine numbers and how that reflects. Okay? So, Jeff Okuda, not on the radar. He's going to be gone by number five. If he's not mm-hmm. gone to the Lions to replace Darius Slay when he inevitably is traded, I will be shocked. I think those first three picks, Burrow, uh, Chase, and... What the hell? What's the Ohio State defensive lineman's right name? Chase Young. Chase Young. I can't think of his. I couldn't think of his name, which is embarrassing because. And you know why it is? It's because he didn't do the combine. But him, Okuda, and Burrow are going to be the first three picks, in my opinion. I don't see any way around that. So that leaves us with Christian Fulton from LSU, 6'0", 197. Barely fits that Zimmer range. I think that generally he likes to get guys that are six one, six two, and then that brings us to kind of the fun names, right? The names that people would be excited about namely Trayvon Diggs from mm-hmm. Alabama so let's take yeah. a look at his combine numbers he fits in really well with his size 6-1 which hits the Mike Zimmer mark perfectly and then 205 so about 15 to 20 pounds heavier than Trey Waynes was when he was coming out so if you think about the bean pole that Trey Waynes was when he was out in at Michigan State you can add about 15 pounds to that and you'll get Trayvon Diggs so his numbers at the combine were, you know, I mean, he's not a guy that stood out a ton, but he's also not a guy to me that, you know, I don't think that he kill he doesn't kill his draft stock or, you know, launch himself into kind of a, like a different arena altogether just by participating in the combine. He's the kind of guy where you play at Alabama, you play under Nick Saban, and it's it's just not that it's you kind of already have that pedigree and then you run a 446 and it's like okay that just kind of like all right we're good or whatever 
I'm I'm in the middle. I'm in the process right now of kind of flip, flipping between Stefan Diggs and Trevon Diggs, and I'm trying to I'm kind of getting my numbers a little confused. But the point that I, <laughs> the point <laughs> the point that I'm making here with Trevon Diggs is that I don't think the combine really impacts the fact whether or not he would be a fit for the Vikings. I'm saying more that he is a fit kind of regardless because of his pedigree, where he went to college, who he was coached by, and then also his stature as well. Well, yeah, the size I think is the biggest thing, and. I, I don't know if that's gonna if it's gonna matter that he's that he's Stefan's brother. Like I don't know if that's actually gonna play a role in whether the Vikings draft him. Um, if there are legitimate concerns about Stefan's happiness with the Vikings, I don't know. I doubt that there is, but if there is, I, I that would be one way to to keep him around. I don't know how. Um, it, it is weird though how it lines up perfectly. Like you know, large body cornerback, very successful at Alabama approximately ranked right where the Vikings pick in that first round. It just, it makes a lot of sense. And then, you know, on, in addition to that, like Antoine Winfield, I guess prior to the combine, who knows where his draft stock has moved. Winfield Jr., it does kind of fall into where the Vikings roughly would be in the second round too. So, I mean, that I think for a lot of Minnesota, you know, for a lot of Vikings fans and Gophers fans, that's like a dream scenario if you're trying to rebuild that secondary really quick, uh, you ignore your offensive line. But I think it, it seems like Diggs, Trayvon Diggs would be an excellent, you know, corner for what Mike Zimmer wants. Big body, physical. Um, you have a smaller guy in Hughes already, so you kind of for sure want that bigger guy. Six one two ten Seems to fit. The, so the thing with Trayvon Diggs is that I believe we're going to have to wait for his pro day results because he didn't do any of the major testing stuff at the combine. All we know right now is his size, and we saw him do drills. And the drills were solid. He did a good job in the drills. You think, you know, if you're if you're a cornerback aficionado, you look at the way that he flips his hips and the way that he finds the ball and, you know, his overall kind of feel for the position. I think you feel very comfortable about that. Now, do you – I don't think there's any reason to care that we don't know his 40 time right now. I mean, the dude's fast. He's a return man in Alabama. He's fast, okay? We don't need to know his 40 speed. Speed. It would be nice to see his three cone just so that we could see the kind of the ability to cut. But as a whole, I don't think it kills the fact that he didn't participate, you know, in in the drills at the combine itself. Now, you look at the other guys who did. Now, do you think that a guy like Javelin Guidry from Utah, okay, he runs a 4-2-9, that probably, probably automatically puts him on Mike Zimmer's radar. Because we've seen this in the past, and like I don't buy that corners need to have a four two forty to be great, but like just based off of what we've seen from the Vikings in the past and the Mike Zimmer era, he drafts fast corners. He loves them. He chose Trey Waynes over Marcus Peters, and what was the differentiator there? Well, mental makeup a little bit, and then also the fact that uh, he ran you know as fast as a forty as you're going to see from that position. So. Are there any of these guys here? I'm, I'm going to give you a couple guys on this list here. And none of them, for what it's worth, are like very highly ranked conventional cornerback picks. But they did run a 40, run a 40 really quickly. And this is a, a perfect example of why I kind of think the combine's dumb. You've got yeah. Javelin at 429. You've got Legarius Sneed from Louisiana Tech at 437. You've got Javarius Davis at 439. And you've got C.J. Henderson at 439. And then you've got Troy Pride at 440. Those are the only guys that ran under a 44 at the cornerback, at the defensive back position. Does that matter? Because I don't think it really does. Because most, like, uh, most of you guys are probably hearing those names for the first time. And I'm not going to lie to you. I've never heard of Legarius Sneed until I pull up this document. 
So no, I mean it's it. There's so much more that goes into it, right? Because I feel like you can still get. It's not like Trey Wayne's has never gotten burned, you know, deep. Right. Like he has. Like it's it's, you know, guys can pull double moves on if you can't move laterally, and you're still fast. Like that is. Uh, any wide receiver that's somewhat quick can pull a double move on you and still beat you. Um, I think it was like Tommy Lee Lewis, like torched reins in the saints game a few years ago. Like that's just off the top of my head, but um, it, you know, Xavier Rhodes is fast. It's not like he hasn't gotten beat beat before. Right. Um, so now the, this is a really throwback example, but remember how fast Josh Robinson was oh, yeah. going out Yeah. and like, you know, UCF. he turned out his spirit didn't exactly, you know, he didn't flourish necessarily in the NFL. So, speed isn't everything um it's certainly something like you have to keep be able to keep up with like four four receivers that run nine routes but that doesn't take four two speed you know that takes four four speed and there's a lot of cornerbacks that have that size that have the skill set that don't necessarily have four two speed but i don't think it's necessary the last note that i'll make on this and i'm sure this will be something we'll be talking about you know, more in more in depth, like I'll do more research than I have at this point as we start breaking down these players individually and start looking at the actual scheme fits. I just want to point out Christian Fulton from LSU. Okay. I think that's a name to keep in mind as a Vikings fan because I look at his size, I look at his stature, right? Fulton stands at six oh one ninety seven, so he's in that range. But what makes him outstanding as a prospect is for one, he's playing at LSU, so you know that he's playing against the top competition. And then the three-cone drill really stands out to me, okay? So he's a top-10 performer in the three-cone drill. And for me, when you're looking at how defensive backs perform, the greatest indicator at the combine to me is that three-cone drill. And for Fulton, he, had a, he ran a 6.94. So above average, strong performance. Not necessarily standout, but very, very good. And then you can also look at, like, Kevon Wallace, for example, that he set the pace, his safety, at 6.76. So... Relative to a safety and the speed that they need to have in the open field, I mean, Fulton kind of, he meets that, he, he meets that metric, right? So I would keep an eye on him specifically, and then we can, I mean, I'm sure we'll continue to talk about Trayvon Diggs, because this is just, it basically became a, a Diggs family podcast at this point. So um, the other name that I've seen mentioned and that you may want to take a look at their combine numbers for is Jeff Gladney from TCU. He's undersized, but I've seen him linked to the Vikings from multiple uh Outlets, I suppose. I know that the Draft Network specifically really likes him. The, guy, uh, you know, the team of uh, Trevor Sakema and uh, Jordan Reed and all of them over there, I know that they like Jeff Gladney out of TCU, so keep an eye on him. And then A.J. Terrell from Clemson is one other name that I keep in mind on. The Vikings have a history of drafting corner back, corners and safeties, defensive backs as a whole from Clemson University. So that is uh, one other name to keep an eye on. And, we'll get, and like I said, we'll get more in-depth, and I'll do a better job breaking down the intricacies of these players as we get in here. But... Uh, for now, let's talk about a player that I have broken down too many times and have spent too much time talking about and, you know, being excited over, and that's Anthony Harris. And <clears throat> I have been an Anthony Harris, and I'm very, I proudly say this, I'm, this is a humble brag. I have been an Anthony Harris fan since day one. Literally, since he was at Virginia, I remember talking about him as the top undrafted player in the league that the Vikings needed to take a look at to find a guy to play opposite Harrison Smith. It finally came to reality last year. Now, I guess it, it came to fruition in a big way last year. We saw it kind of in small spurts the year before. But now we know who this player is. We know what his level is. We know what his peak performance looks like. We know that he's an all-pro caliber player on a good day. And on a bad day, 
still a very, very good safety that can hurt you if you throw the ball in his general vicinity. He's an outstanding athlete, and he plays a big role in this defense. Now, the, the problem the Vikings are running into is largely linked to the salary cap, right? We're sitting in a position now where Anthony Harris is, as an undrafted player, he ha- is trying to cash in. This is a big, big moment for his career. Not for his person, for his family, for you know everyone involved in his life. This is like the biggest moment these next couple months here. Like this is huge, and I can't like, I can't express that enough because he's about to change his yeah. life. I mean, for so I I went to the week one game against the Falcons, and I happened to be sitting right next to his family, <laughs> and he had and he had the two interceptions in that game on right. Matt Ryan, and I remember screaming many many times to his family during those interceptions like you know when you celebrate you just kind of scream things right Mm -hmm. um i was screaming you know this he's about to get paid he's about to get paid you know over and over (laughs) and they were i mean they were you know living it up having a good time watching anthony just catch matt ryan's passes um but it's it's true though like he's 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 lifted himself into the category of like you know the one of the best free safeties in the NFL in terms of reading the quarterback instincts, like knowing where the ball is going to go before anybody else does that type of thing. Uh, that interception he had on Rogers in week 16, I'll never understand that. Um, I think it was like a, you know, there was a sort of a crossing route underneath a streak route and he just abandoned the nine route down the field. I think for the crosser, I believe it went to Adams. I think there was Valdez Scantling going downfield. Adams was running the underneath crosser. And well before it seemed like Rodgers made a decision, Harris abandoned that that deep route, went underneath, and picked off the crosser. That would have been open if not for Harris. Just stuff like that. Like He he just clearly does a lot of film study to pick up on something like that. That's um, always been the Anthony Harris difference for right, what it's worth. Right, right. And going into you know early on in his career, he was, he was one of those bean poles. Um, you're worried about his weight, you know, keeping uh, keeping up size-wise with the rest of the league, especially if he was going to play in the box at all. And he definitely gained some weight. Uh, we all remember the the Larry Fitzgerald block uh, from the 2016 <laughs> right, right. game. That, uh, you know, you don't see that happening now. And so it's just the progress has been sweet to watch for an undrafted guy who clearly needed to prove himself in a big way. And, you know, hasn't for a while didn't get a ton of uh, opportunity. Anderson Dayhill was the guy um, at safety for the most part over the years, but he's gotten his chance lately. He's really, really uh, cashed in on it. Absolutely. So let's, uh, since this is Anthony Harris Appreciation Day, let's talk about what he does well and the importance of him in the Vikings scheme. So we can try to evaluate the situation as thoroughly as possible. Okay. So I think we've established so far that he's a free safety, right? And I've said in the past, I don't like the terms free and strong because they had basically become irrelevant in this the contemporary NFL, right? But <clears throat> as it pertains to Anthony Harris's game specifically, I mean, he truly is a traditional free safety, right? You very rarely see him come up in the box. He's almost always going to be running single high, or once in a while they will drop Harrison Smith back with him and you'll get a, du- a dual safety look deep, okay? But generally speaking, he's me back there by himself. That's kind of what he's been doing, and that's what makes this Vikings defense go because it allows you to put Harrison Smith in the box and do what he does best, and that's use his instincts to find the ball mm-hmm. carrier effectively, quickly, and make a cr- <laughs> make these crazy tackles. Okay, So Anthony Harris's role in the Vikings defense 
It's more than just being a guy out there that catches footballs every once in a while. It's more than just standing in the spot where Devontae Adams is going to be coming over the top, where Julio Jones is going to be coming into coverage. It's more than that because not only is he just standing there and covering up that zone, right? He's also allowing for other players to do their jobs more efficiently, and he also covers the asses of a lot of guys on the Vikings defense too, and we've seen this time after time again. When you're having linebackers drop into coverage, it's really nice to know that if you get too deep, you've got a safety over the top that can pick the guy, that can pick the quarterback off. So his role specifically within this defense is basically to allow Harrison Smith to facilitate the the box area of the defense and kind of stand around there. And then Anthony Harris is essentially he's the last line of the defense. He is a true safety. He is the safety valve, right? He sits back there and chills in zone and he picks guys off if they test him. That's basically what he does. Now, that role, when I explain it like that, doesn't sound too valuable, does it? I mean, when, you, when you're looking at the, imp, like the, the value of like Harrison Smith or Anthony Barr, like all the things that they're asked to do on the Vikings defense, relative to what Anthony Harris is asked to do, it doesn't seem that important. But if you do that role well, right, if you do what Anthony Harris does well, it makes a significant, significant impact. And I'll use the Earl Thomas example just because you brought him up already. The way that Eris, that Earl Thomas was able to feel, kind of work around in that defense when it was Richard Sherman, Brandon Browner, and Cam Chancellor out next to him, it allowed all those guys to literally just play their zone, right? Play their one spot, cover their area of the field, and not have to worry about anything else. That is what Anthony Harris does for the Vikings. When you put Anth- when you put Anderson Dayhill back there, granted, I probably have not given him enough credit throughout his career for how solid of a player he has been. You do not trust Anderson Dejo over the top. You trust Anthony Harris. If that ball has some loft to it, you know that Anthony Harris is going to be there. You know that. Like that's that's just like that is what we have come to learn about this player and how important he is within the scheme. So that's a huge difference maker for like six guys on this defense. He has extreme value within this scheme specifically because of the, of the way he's able to make guys like Harrison Smith specifically and probably most notably, but also Anthony Barr. Eric Kendricks, and then, of course, the defensive linemen who are trying to get a push at the line of scrimmage. Mm-hmm. Right, and now you – I mean, the chances are, the way it looks now, he's probably not a Viking in 2020. It is. Yeah. And then now it becomes you have to find that guy that's going to replace him. Uh, and that's why Antoine Winfield Jr. has been brought up so much. Um, and then, you know, there's you've got to find your free safety guy. And um, at the – you know, Harrison Smith can play that role. Like, that's not – we're not trying to – say that Harrison Smith can't play free safety or doesn't have those instincts. He, he certainly does. Um, but maximizing his potential to, to right. me, and I think right. you agree, he's a box safety. And you expose yourself as a defense if you have uh, you know, an, in, an incapable player at the free safety, I guess, spot, technically a free safety spot, uh, playing deep and trying to read the quarterback's eyes while your cornerbacks are you know, not performing the way <laughs> – NFL they haven't been good. Should. Let's just let's yes, just get yes. straight up. Being politically correct, they're not up to par, so to speak, and that becomes a problem when your safety isn't covering the for them. Because uh, I think you know you notice it a lot on the shorter routes where the cornerbacks are getting beat, but lots of times on the deep routes, you know Harris was there to maybe force it to throw a different direction or force a tight window that wasn't completed, whatever it was, and right. you notice it a lot more on those ones. So. It's it's huge. It's uh, 
Harris being gone, potentially, that's going to be a big hole to fill. And this Vikings defense, I mean, that'd be a huge task for Zimmer and the new coaching staff to figure out how to replace that and how to work around it. Yeah. It will, I mean, I think about the idea of Anthony Harris being gone it immediately brings me back to what it was like when it was Anderson Dejo and Harrison Smith. Now, Harrison Smith did a lot more, was worked a lot more in that free role playing over the top in coverage as opposed to being in the box when Andrew Sandejo was out there because Andrew Sandejo, let's just be real, folks, his strength is not coverage. He's he's done a very solid job covering tight ends, especially as of late, but generally speaking, I mean, I don't trust Andrew Sandejo and his instincts and his athleticism combined with those instincts to get to the ball when it's in the air. I just don't trust him the way I do Harrison Smith or Anthony Harris. So it completely changes the dynamic of the way that you're going to run the back end of your defense if you don't have a ball hawk back there. So that's a like that's a significant loss because like how do you fill that hole right now? It's 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 Antoine Winfield is a is this is real folks because I don't know how else you're going to fill that hole. Like there's no other explanation right now. That's a yeah. real thing going on, that, and that's a true trend. I mean, the easiest thing to. is to kind of yeah, the easiest way to do this: resign Anthony Harris by getting rid of the big contracts. The you kind of already have Everson Griffin off the books for now. Right. Uh, Rhodes, Riley Reef, Linval Joseph. Like you can free up the space for that, um, it's but it's still it's a tall task, and it's going to be a big problem if he's not on the team. Absolutely. So give me. Let's now that we have kind of the information, we have the idea of how important he is within this team and the role that he plays specifically in the Mike Zimmer defense. Do you bring him back? Do you find a way to bring him back? Yes. Is he worth twelve million dollars a year, which is the yeah. kind of estimated cap number? Yes. Yes, he is. And I think and part of it too is I think you just want to maximize this defense because I I am all about twenty twenty is kind of the last sort of you know, all in season for this era, for the Zimmer era, for Kirk Cousins, for Rick Spielman. Like this is their last shot, so to speak. And I think you want to bring back the guy that has helped maintain your defense at an elite level the last few years um, and keep that safety duo there with Smith and Harris. And um, if you can m- marginally improve your cornerbacks, I think that's going to be a big deal on defense versus like getting rid of Harris, you know, maybe forcing Smith to play a little bit of a role that he hasn't the last few years and then kind of risking things on the back end there. So I bring back Harris at the sake of losing Rhodes and Waynes and uh, Lindvall. I think Harris is that valuable. So I have a quick fix, and it's not necessarily the way that this can all work out, but I this is my quick fix, and I agree with you. I think that signing Anthony Harris needs to be a priority. Uh, it's the first thing that I would do this offseason following the restructuring of contact, contracts and release of aging players who – are not necessarily working out anymore. As much as it pains me to say this, I'm giving Xavier Rhodes' money to Anthony Harris. That's where I'm at. That's how I'm making this work. I'm getting. I'm allowing Xavier Rhodes to, to walk. I'm going to release him from his deal, and I'm going to hand all of that money. It's literally like it's just it's a straight move because it works out perfectly for the contract that is expected for Anthony Harris. That $12 million bucks that you save for Rhodes, just move that straight to Anthony Harris, and then you replace Xavier Rhodes with a first-round cornerback. That, to me, is the quick fix here. It's the easiest way to do it, and granted, there will be you know problems, growing pains, if you will, at the cornerback spot. But to me, after last year, give me growing pains over aging pains all day long. 
because they were pains anyway, you know, like either way. Yeah. And yeah. this way you save a lot of money and you get to retain a player that is well deserving of a like major it. contract extension. That's my quick like fix. It. That's how we retain Anthony Harris. That's how this works out for the Vikings. And that ends Anthony Harris appreciation day. So on the topic of cornerbacks, Trey Waynes has kind of made it not clear, I suppose, but is, has gotten involved in subliminal posting that I know all of you Vikings fans have become very, you know, this thrilled does about. It, this doesn't mean anything. It's another... Does it, it though? It, this this one? This one? Eh. How is this eh. different than anything? I mean, it's just... So, Anthony... Okay, so for those of you who are not social media fiends, and I applaud you for that, if you're not... <laughs> If you're not on Instagram, Trey Waynes, this was, what, uh, two days ago as of this recording? So, uh, end of February. He posted with this caption, 29, where we going, fam? Eyeball, eyeball, LOL. And it's the picture of Trey Waynes with his arms spread out, as he typically does, following in completion with, with Xavier Rhodes next to him, looking at him and preparing to celebrate with him as if they had just forced an incomplete pass. That is like, what to me, like, social media. The, like, it's not realistic to expect these guys are, like, going to go to the same team. Like, that's just not how the business works. And this is implying that that would happen. That's why I think it's more of a he's taking after digs, trying to get people riled up. Uh, and it, it's very possible both those guys are gone, too. And I actually think that would be in probably the best interest of the team. But I don't think this – means he's unhappy in Minnesota or this anything is, along those lines. But this is so uncharacteristic of Trey Waynes. If you think about his personality, and granted his personality has developed since he was a rookie. If you remember Trey Waynes and you remember being at, Trey, at training camp with Trey Waynes, he did not like to talk at all. He had wanted nothing to do with anyone. No, no personality whatsoever. Very boring person. Very cool hair. Still very boring person. That's who he was as a rookie, a sophomore, and even his third year in the league. And he's developed a little bit more of a personality. He's become a little more flamboyant, if you will, at the cornerback position since that time. But this is still uncharacteristic of him to kind of under. It is to me. So this is extre- this is an extreme explanation, but. This is undermining your employer to a degree. When you go on social media like this and you are under contract or, well, technically they're not under contract as of what, like next week? Well, but, like, when you put this out there, like, let me just put this in perspective for you. And I, I'm going to say this real quick because I, need, I know a lot of people need this disclaimer. The NFL is nothing like our work environments. There's no, there's no real common ground. If you were to go onto your Instagram account and tweet something like, I don't know, uh, to put a picture of you in your second swing gear helping out a customer, and then you put something like, where, where am I working next? I mean, well, it's, it's not it's, a good it's, reflection. It's, I'm sorry. It's not a good reflection on That's not you're... what he's saying. But, like, that's what he is saying, that's though. That's not what he's saying. You don't he's think that's what he's that. saying? No. He's saying, where are we going? Where are we going to go celebrate this interception? What are we going to do? It's you think that's what he's doing there? I think he's maybe, I... maybe not. I don't know. I'm, I'm not. I'm, I'm not about to go read too deep into social media posts by professional athletes that are only doing it to get clicks and they like their clout <laughs> and all this stuff. So I, no, I, I do think that this one actually though is like because it's like I, I honestly I buy into this one most of the time. I'm with you. I don't buy it. I don't take too much from social media posts this one actually seems to me like trey waynes is saying where are we going because he knows he well, sees that and it's if you're right incredible. great 
you know what? If you're right, you know, that's great. You know, I he don't can, care he, to be right. he and Rhodes can be gone. I that's the thing too. Like I probably would care more or pay attention more to it if Waynes was this Pro Bowl All Pro like corner, you know? Right, right, right. It, so mm, like that's kind of my reaction to this. I don't really have one. Like <laughs> the, com- the comments on this are pretty funny, by the way. Oh, I'm just- sure. So, someone just commented. The funniest part about this, the most noteworthy part, is that his Instagram page has like 700 followers. He created this Instagram page to <laughs> to jump in on the action. He started this page like four days ago. Yeah. And that's it. So. Yeah. Well. All right. Now let's interpret some more posts. Let's do that. Yeah. I'm buying this one though. I want that on record. I'm buying this one that Trey Waynes is legit. I mean, this is you're not going to be right if he goes to a different team. Like, I, that's I, not. This isn't about being right. I'm just simply saying I'm buying this one as an actual reflection of his. I'm, I think he's talking about football. Let's put it that way. I think he's talking right. about football here. Fine, fine, fine. <laughs> probably is talking about football because that's a football picture. But right, that's what I'm saying. All right. <laughs> All right. Let's talk about Stefan Diggs. Welcome back to the Diggs Tweet Translator segment. Today I have three tweets for you beginning on 227. That is a couple days ago as of this recording. First one here. It just simply says from Stefan Diggs' Twitter account, keeping my composure. What do you have to say about that? Translate that tweet for he's me. Really, he's really excited about his younger brother. Um Gaining mm. the attention in the combine. Very excited okay. about his success that he's about to have in the NFL. Uh, also worried about potentially going against Trayvon Diggs in the NFL. So he's trying to control all these emotions. You see what Trayvon and, said about that? About the potential of them playing? That it's going to yeah. be easy? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but that's, uh, yeah, that's off the top of my head. That's what I got. I, so this one, this one to me has nothing to do with anything. I think this is an it example... Doesn't. I think this is an example of Stefan Diggs going on Google and finding a fun like quote and being inspired by that quote and just talking about. Oh, he's not being, he's not inspired by it. He's just posting it. That's it. Is he that, trying that, to inspire others with this one? That, this one's I, very maybe. simple. Maybe I don't know. I want I I really want like I want to sit down with Stefan Diggs for like 15 minutes and just go through his tweets with him so he can get the accurate translation. But this well, one, yeah, to... that's what we're doing without him. Yeah. But like I'm saying, I would love to hear what he actually has to say because I think I think you are right in the sense where like when everyone reads into these, I think that he's just firing it off, putting his phone down, and like not even thinking that it even happened. He's going, he's playing 2K with his brother, and yeah. then checks back his mentions, and then he's laughing at all the mentions. <laughs> all That's right, what so, he's doing. All right, so this this next one, this is the one that riled, <laughs> this is the one that riled up Vikings Twitter um, last week. Uh, this one says, and I quote. I played the hand I was dealt, dot, dot, not a true ellipses. Yaw had to force it. I love that he uses yaw as in Y-A-W. I played the hand I was dealt. Yaw had to force it. What do you tra- What do you take from that one? Translate that tweet for me. Yaw. <laughs> yaw. <laughs> yaw had to force that. Um, I don't take anything from it about – it's not about football, no, right? No, it's not. It's definitely not. Uh, so he – it's a womanizer thing. Like think so? he's, uh, he's, yeah, yeah. He's, he's got a hand and, uh, that hand is how he, uh, builds his relationships with other people and something happened in his life that, uh, forced him to make a decision and, uh, maybe cut out a person from his life. Let's say, let's put it that way. Interesting. 
So the Vikings fans took this one as he played his hand that he was dealt, as in he was drafted by the Vikings, which was forcing it, and he's here not by choice. That's how Vikings fan took this. Took this one. I don't see any merit to that one. So I think that's so. That to me is very ridiculous. This is prime Stefan Diggs trying to inspire the youths to me. Or it's like, it's like you know the hand he was dealt was not great. Fifth fifth round cornerback or fifth round receiver. That's going to keep happening, by the way. That's going to the mix up between Trayvon and Stefan is going to start happening. Yeah, oh yeah, all the time. But like fifth round receiver, no expectations, injuries in school, Uh, draft stock was plummeted, much lower than it should be. Now he's got to prove people wrong. I don't, that's that's another way of looking at it too. That's probably what it is, honestly. If it's if it's anything about football, that's probably what it is. Yeah, I, I can see that. Like, you got a got a kind of a rough deal, and force kind of the inner beast out of him. That to me sounds like Stefan Diggs. That sounds like him. Yeah. Yeah, because we all know Stefan Diggs pretty well. Exactly. Yeah, he's my best friend. We hang out all the time. <laughs> all right, the next one here, the last one for the, this this segment, this edition of the Diggs Tweet Translator. <laughs> This one's – again, there's not a whole lot to take from this, but Vikings fans, of course, found a way to take something from this. People be so weird, dog, dot, dot, dot. And he spells dog, D-A-W-G, by the way. That's that's it? That's, that's the tweet? That's the tweet. <laughs> well, that could apply to literally any life scenario. People yeah. are weird. Like that's – but, but the point – the reason why I put this one in the translator segment is because – do you, what do you – like what do you think he's thinking about? Like what do you like, think he's talking about? He could have gone through it? like a fast food – drive-through and <laughs> interacted with the people working and been like people are weird man like that's you, it's as simple as that so the way the vikings fans took this was that he's talking about them because they're so invested in like his life and they're very well, he's right if he is talking about Vi- i think like, so that, too he's yeah. accurate i like, i lean with you i think that this is a prime example of just like he was hanging out and he saw a guy he went down to the Milwaukee Justice Center and he saw a guy with devil horn tattoos on his forehead and was like, damn, that guy's weird. And then he tweeted it in his language because that's the type of verbiage that he likes to use when he's talking about a weird yeah, person. I can't believe that one is even yeah. – That one – hey, that one went up in flames. If you look if you look at the comments, people are – people take things like – Twitter's not that serious, man. It never is. It, it never it, is. is that, that's kind of like the lesson here. What ultimately is that Twitter, social yeah. media in general, not that serious? Yeah. Well, that's fair to me. All right. That wraps up the dig segment uh, and that wraps up the show. Uh, we're finished up a little bit early here. Are there any final thoughts that you have from the combine? Anthony Harris. Uh, the Ben Barch uh, smoothie. We didn't talk about Ben Barch at all. How did you not allow that? What, what's wrong well, with Because he didn't do anything. He had an injury. He's got a pec yeah. strain, so he didn't do anything at the combine besides his measurements and stuff. Um, but. I mean, he still looks like a second or third round tackle. The smoothie is phenomenal. I don't know if you saw the NFL, the NFL Network video went all yeah. around Twitter. Uh, so everything. I mean, he's a legend. He, he went, got down on one knee to chug the smoothie, of course. Did you ever uh, meet this guy when you were in college? Yeah, yeah. Is he a nice guy? Well, it's weird because like he, when I met him, he was like 50, 60, 70 pounds lighter than he is now, and he didn't look anything like he does now. Can he drink? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I have no comment. <laughs> no comment. Okay, fair enough. Do you do you believe? Like, do you truly believe that he is NFL caliber? Like, do you think that? Well, the thing is, I haven't been able to like watch a ton. I haven't watched a ton of him as a lineman. I mean, I've watched. Does he have the mentality though? 
Huh? Does he have the mentality? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because, like, he seems like, and this is honestly the case with a lot of offensive linemen, he seems, like, just very, like, nice and, like, kind and yeah, gentle. Yeah, you could be. You could be nice and kind and like, still be a good player. Like I agree, but then there's the Richie Incognitos of the world who are like, just I think, absolutely insane. I'll say this. I think it's very possible that his stock is as low as it is simply because of the competition he played in college. Like, I think it's very possible he is a, you know, first round caliber talent prospect that is just being viewed as less than that because of, because he, I mean, he lit it up and dominated that senior bowl. Like he was the best, one of the best linemen there. And right. I think people are still only handy. Like his, he's handicapped by the competition he had. And he didn't even know, like he was a tackle. He's been a tackle for two years. Right. And it's one of those where he just, happens to be fit perfectly for that skill set. That seems fair to me. All right, let's wrap this up here. I'm going to wrap this up with one final thought because I want to check this, you know, in a, in about a month from now. Give me three players from your current standing, three prospects of your knowledge, you know, of the Vikings, of the players available, of their team needs, three players that you believe would pick that would fit perfectly for the Vikings. Oh, this is easy. This is also very like a fan, like heart reaction. But yeah. Trayvon Diggs, Antoine Field Jr., Ben Barch, and I think it's very possible that that's literally that's the lineup. One, two, three. Yeah. Yeah. One, two, yeah. three. That's very possible. I like that. I like that. Where the I, Vikings and what they need. I think that Trayvon Diggs is kind of my favorite pick right now, and that's part. That's partially motivated by the fact that he's Stefan's brother, but also because the cornerback would be great, and he's a really good one. But mm-hmm. um, and I'm I, I think that those three are great picks, but I just because you said Barch and I knew that you were gonna say that, <laughs> I will. Uh, uh, you say the Wisconsin I'll, guy. Yeah, I'm gonna say the I'm gonna say the Wisconsin guy. <laughs> be a dish, be a dish, be a dish. Let's get get familiar <laughs> with that name because I like him. I, I like Wisconsin players. I like the personality that they bring to the league. So I honestly do like Winfield. Give me Winfield. A Wisconsin offensive lineman and an Alabama corner. That sounds like wins to me. Okay. Cool. All right. That's the end of the show, folks. Thank you, as always, for listening. Uh, next week, we will probably continue our discussion with prospects, anything that comes up with the Vikings, any more random social media posts that come across my desk. And by desk, I mean the table that I record this thing on. And, uh, yeah, so that's the game plan for next week. As always, you can find us on iTunes. Subscribe there if you like. Um, Daily Norseman as always uh, Climbing the Pocket Network Um, If you are listening to this On Daily Norseman make sure to leave a comment A thought I read those every week Um, And I think that's About all I've got from you so um, Yeah thank you for listening and we will catch you Guys next week (laughs) 